and, and worship was awesome. Uh, that new song was kind of fun. And I don't know if all y'all could see it, but up here, you guys were doing some moves to that song. Are those like official moves? What, what were those? Could you show me? You stand up, you were spin around, right? Yeah, okay, that's it. Well, if you guys, are, you know, next time we do it, look up here and just copy them because they were into it. It was a lot of fun. Um, so my name is Derek, one of the pastors here, and, and if you were here the last two weeks, uh, you got to see Paul and Alex teach, and we are extremely blessed. Um, I am extremely blessed by that. We have many voices that get to open up God's word, because God's word is the truth, um, and share that. And I took, personally, a lot of notes the last two weeks. I hope you did, too, um, getting to look at some of those passages from a different point of view. Um, and we're going to be in Acts this morning. So we're taking a little break from Hebrews, um, and we're going to look at this idea that we are plan A. And, and I wanted to ask real quick as we begin, how does God primarily work in the world? As you think about that, in, in your own kind of experience or, or theology, how does God work? You know, how does God feed you? He could do it through manna. He's done that before. But have you ever gone outside and kind of prayed for manna and then just, you know, waited for it to fall? In general, he doesn't use manna anymore. Um, now he uses uh, farmers and ranchers and butchers and truckers and grocery store workers and right all down the list of, of bakers, people making the food and then bringing it. Here's, here's a truth. God typically works through people. Uh, God speaking. Some people claim to have heard God audibly speak to them, and God can absolutely do that. Most of the time, God is going to speak through a person or through his word, or often it's a person using his word. I can't tell you how many times after a service, somebody will say, you were talking right to me. Like, have you been spying on me? I'm like, no, that's actually how God works because his word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And so God typically works through people and his word, which is why gathering together is such a big deal that we get to hear his word, we get to worship together. God typically works through people. Now, when you're sick, you go to the doctor. Can God heal directly? Absolutely, and he does. Most of the time, I would say God works through doctors, medicine, right? That is still God at work. So does God work in mysterious ways? He sure does, but most of the time, I would say he works through what we might call mundane or even boring because God works through people. He works through us. Kind of interesting, um, the Reformation. So during the Reformation, that was a time of, uh, you know, Luther and Calvin and many others, and, and if you know much about history, it was when they were kind of coming back to the core of Christianity and separating from the Catholic Church and some of the, the practices that had gone, you know, outside of what scripture would teach. And one of the things that they emphasized was the idea of vocation. And the way, that's actually a theological term. I mean, we use vocation for job, but they started bringing in the idea of vocation more in all aspects of life, which is really coming back to how scripture talks about it. Because the word vocation means calling. And not just to a job, but the vocation of a citizen, right? You are a citizen of your community, the vocation of being a mom, a dad, you know, different vocations, different callings, and how to use that for God's glory. Because during the, 
before the Reformation and even after, you know, kind of the struggle of, right, pastors and clergy, those people are the ones that have the vocation, the calling of doing ministry, and the rest of us do the other stuff. Rather than the idea that really all of us are, are ministers, all of us, wherever we're at, have a calling and a deeper calling within that calling, right? A deeper calling of being a, a believer. There is something, I, I titled this, this sermon, You're a Big Deal. So don't get a big head. Um, but, but that's the point. You're a big deal because there's something that only you can do that others can't do, right? Uh, non-believers, people out there uh, can, can ranch, can bake, can do all those things. But there's something that only Jesus followers can do and that is share the life of Jesus with others, which is quite significant. Turn to Acts. Acts chapter one is where we're gonna be. Now, we've, we've been here before. Uh, this is one of my favorite passages. This is, you know, all of scripture is relevant, right? I, I mean, you've probably heard that. All of it is God-breathed. Some is more relevant than others at, at different times. This is one of those passages that we do keep coming back to because it is so applicable and so useful to us right now. It's Acts chapter one. Now, the book of Acts was written by Luke. Luke also wrote the gospel of Luke. Uh, Luke was a physician, uh, right? He was a doctor. He was a traveling companion of Paul on his missionary journeys, and he was a researcher. So a lot of what Luke wrote, he did it from eyewitness accounts and wrote this down. And here Luke shares kind of the, the last time of Jesus with his disciples. So we're just going to look at Acts 1, verses 1 through 11. In the first book... O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Lord Jesus, thank you for this word. <laughs> thank you that we have scripture uh, that it's so reliable uh, from, from how many texts we have to even just reading the words as the resonance of, of truth. Um, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would apply this to us today. God, that we would see what you want us to see and we would be faithful uh, in thankfulness to you because of the life that you have given us. In Jesus' name, amen. So here, what does Jesus do, right? Jesus, he died on the cross. We see this in the book of Luke, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John. He dies on the cross for our sins, rises from the dead, and then what's he do? He hangs out for 40 days. Kind of interesting. He hangs out for 40 days with his disciples, and what is he doing during those 40 days? 
says he is teaching about the kingdom. Teaching about the kingdom. You know, a lot of times in church, we don't talk as much about the kingdom. But for Jesus, the kingdom was kind of a big deal. When he began his ministry, that was the first thing he was talking about. He'd walk around and say, hey, the kingdom of God is at hand. Right? Because the king was there. Jesus is the king. And so here he's teaching about the kingdom. So what is the kingdom? Because for the Jewish people and for these disciples, we see they, they wrestled with this. They were focused on the earthly kingdom. Right? Israel had been the greatest kingdom under David and, and Solomon. I mean, it was, it was excellent, right? It was the kingdom. And we want that again. We want that glory. Right now we're under Rome, right? The kingdom, thinking earthly. And a lot of us, and the, you know, right, we think about our American kingdom, right? The United States. We, we want to restore what we had, whatever it is. We get focused on our kingdom. The kingdom of God is, is not that. Here's what the kingdom is. It's on the screen. It's in your notes. The kingdom of God is the present spiritually directed reign of God gradually transforming individual lives and entire cultures through the power of the Holy Spirit. This is a present reality within all earthly kingdoms. So these first disciples, they're asking, are you going to restore the kingdom? He's like, let's not talk about that right now. I have something else to do that is going to impact all kingdoms, and we're going to be about that first. Right? Their question wasn't wrong. Right? Are you going to restore the kingdom? Because the day will come when Jesus returns and sets up his perfect reign and rule. That is going to come. But until then, there's something else that he wants to do. Right? He wants to build his kingdom within physical kingdoms here. So he redirects them. And in verse 8, this is going to be our, our primary verse. And this is one of the, if you haven't memorized this verse, you need to memorize this verse. Because here he gives them the instruction. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is the outline for the whole book of Acts. Actually, if you, if you study Acts, it follows this verse's outline going through. Um, I've taught this before and focused on just the word power of the Holy Spirit, which is the word dynamite. It's where we get the word dynamite, this explosion, which is kind of cool just to look at the idea of, of the power that God gives to us uh, through his Holy Spirit. But here he gives us his, his plan. And, and what's his plan? His plan is that we are plan A to share the good news, right? And there is no plan B. He says, you are going to be my witnesses. That's his plan. The disciples, this is, I find this encouraging and discouraging. The disciples struggled. <laughs> In fact, you read all of the Bible, try and find somebody that just kind of nailed life. Joseph, right? In the Old Testament, most have significant failings and flaws. And the disciples here, they seem to really struggle with this idea of the kingdom to all nations. Because after Jesus died and rose from the dead, right, they stayed in Jerusalem. I mean, they, they kind of refused to leave. They, they, the disciples, they were right there and the, the church grew in Jerusalem, but they were kind of stuck. And he had said, go. It wasn't until some great persecution broke out in Jerusalem that a lot of the Christians fled and the word of God spread. But even then, the disciples kind of stayed in Jerusalem. It wasn't until Paul, the apostle Paul, came along and, and he started doing these missionary journeys and, and taking the, the truth of Christianity out. But then it'd come back and the disciples and the Jewish, because the first believers were Jewish, are wrestling with this idea of, okay, if, if Gentiles become Christian, do they have to become Jewish first? They're really focused on 
their, their kingdom. You have to become Jewish. And so they were wrestling with all this. They were a little bit slow on the uptake. Good news. They finally got it, you know, and we don't see all the details, and a lot of it comes from history after Scripture. The disciples got it, and they did go, right? I, I mean, you go around the world, and you hear the stories of, of Thomas allegedly going to India. Maybe he did, you know, right? Some went on to Spain. The disciples eventually did go, um, but they were a little bit slow. They struggled with this idea. So good news, if you struggle some, you're in good company, but get over it. Because here's God's plan. God's plan is to expand his kingdom, or God's plan to expand his kingdom is that his people share the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection. That's it right there. You will be my witnesses. That's his plan for his people. And we're going to get into this more next week. That's his plan, right? If we don't share, nobody else will hear. That's his plan. And his plan is for us to be a witness. What's a witness? A witness is, is simply somebody who shares what they've seen. That's what a witness is. Now, a lot of times we wrestle with this. I have, and, and maybe you, I can't tell people about Jesus because I don't know enough yet. Or I'm not perfect yet, right? Perfect people, raise your hand. All right. No knuckleheads. Good job. <laughs> right? Uh, this idea of, of witness, we think we need to be an expert witness. And I, I think about a court, right? You go to court. And, uh, you know, this guy murdered somebody else, and, and they call in witnesses, right? They call in, um, a, what'd you see? You're like, well, I was standing here, that dude came there, and that dude came out here and shot that guy, and he's dead, right? That's what I saw. They don't ask this eyewitness, well, what kind of gun was it? I don't know. <laughs> how, did the, how does the, the component work? Did the bullet match the, I don't know, right? That's an expert witness, right? They'll bring in those, well, we did the caliber and blah, blah, blah. I don't really know. I don't watch those shows. Um, but a lot of times we think we need to be that expert witness to be able to answer all the deep, you know, que- we just need to share what God has done. Now, we need the truth of Jesus' death and resurrection, absolutely, and the exclusivity of salvation in Christ alone. But then it's simply we share what Jesus has done. So it, it kind of a, a pattern that we've shared before here is before Jesus, I, I met Jesus when, and since Jesus, right? Here's what Jesus did in my life. That's how you be a witness. It's fairly simple. You just kind of tell a a, a story, right, of what Jesus has done with you. And here's the other truth. Every Jesus follower is a witness for Jesus. He's, right, he says here, you will be my witnesses. It's not a command. It's a statement. He's not saying, go witness. He's saying, you are my witness. So if you claim the name of Jesus... If you believe he died on the cross, rose from the dead for your sins, and he's Lord of your life, you are a witness. So the question is, are you a good one? <laughs> right? I mean, that one's kind of tough. Are you a good witness? You know, and, and I've, I've spoken to people and, and been around others where they're living this life over here, and they're claiming Jesus, and it's like, okay, either stop claiming Jesus or start being a, a better witness, right? Let him be Lord of your life and change. But if you're going to live in, in open rebellion, stop claiming the name of Jesus. And there's fun stories around that, but we don't have time. But we are a witness. And his plan, he said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, which is kind of cool. Jerusalem, the city you're in, right? We're standing there right now. Boom. You're going to be my witnesses here. But then you're going to spread out a little bit further. And then you're going to go to Samaria a little bit further and cross culture, but it's not that far away. Uh, And then to the ends of the earth. So for them, 
this is the ends of the earth. If they could see forward in time, they're like, ah, we did it, right? All the way in Nevada, in, in North America. That's the plan. To this year, so you saw the, uh, the pre-roll there, whatever that's called. Um, this year, we're, we're having a theme. Um, and we don't often do this, but this year we decided we're going to do a theme. And, and this is kind of our graphic. So you're going to see this through the year. Um, we are plan A. And that's part of our all-in covenant. So if you are a, a family member here, um, it's what we have instead of, of membership that we are all-in partners. Part, the first one is A, we are plan A to share the good news of Jesus. And there is no plan B. And here's why we're emphasizing this this year. Churches have a tendency as they get older to turn in, right? A, a church plant, which we were eight years ago, which we're not really anymore, right? We were meeting in, in our house to begin with and in our backyard with a tent. Um, and so it was very, you know, out, like, let's fill this tent. And, and now the wind is coming. So, and some of you were there, hold the tent down so it doesn't blow away, right? There's a, and it's kind of exciting. God wants to, and, and you know, in us, we're like, God is going to do great things. Then you, you have a building. We're blessed with an, a wonderful building. And, all, and we start to move in. We, we really like each other, right? You know? And so churches have a tendency to move in. And the reason we're focusing on this this year is we don't want to do that. We do want to focus, we want these relationships, right? We want to be together. We're going to see that more in Hebrews as we get back into that. This is great. But if we get stuck here, there's a problem because really uh, we are here for those who don't know Jesus yet. And so we are God's plan A to share the good news about Jesus and there is no plan B. So I titled this, this sermon, You're a Big Deal, you might be God's plan A for a specific person out there and there is no plan B. Have you ever thought about that? There might be somebody in your life, you're the only Christian they know. You're the only one in their life. They may have spiritual questions. They may be spiritually searching. They may be hungry, but they're scared to even talk about it, but you're in their life, right? I mean, and I believe God is sovereign and he ordained some of these. What if it's you? What if he has you just to ask a question and boom, this person's going to open up. This is, I've been waiting for somebody to, to ask, or I've been waiting for somebody that might have the answers. Maybe you are plan A with one person, two people. Um, as I was studying this, I, I, I felt compelled to, to confess a little bit. Sometimes, you know, as, as I think about this idea of God's kingdom, uh, I get frustrated. You know, when we, when we started Common Ground, of course, we were ambitious and excited. You know, um, the, our area was roughly 5% church. We're like, it's going to be 50% in 10 years, you know, like God's going to move. All the churches are going to grow. And that hasn't happened yet. Right? And so there can be some, some discouragement as you look around. You're like, the, the church in North America is shrinking. Right? The church in Europe is shrink and it's continuing to go down. And, and many of those churches that are there are, are moving away from the gospel. And I would say they're becoming a new religion, right? The, the idea of progressive Christianity, it's not Christianity because they're throwing out sin. They're throwing out the idea of, of truth, of Jesus's death and resurrection, right? And, and the idea of lordship. And so it's a whole new religion. So I look at this and I get discouraged. And God encouraged me as I kind of was studying this idea um, that the church is not dying. Um, in fact, the way God works through the church and the way things are, it's still happening now. So kind of quick history, where did the church begin? Jerusalem, right? It began in Jerusalem. That's where Jesus was. He died, rose from the dead. Um, it, it spread. That was kind of the center. Where was the center soon after? A place called Antioch, 
which was in Syria, north of Israel. That was the church that sent out Paul, the greatest missionary we've ever seen, right? So, so the center of the church moved from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then pretty soon it moved to Italy, right? There in Rome kind of became the center of Christianity where it was spreading. Then it moved up into Europe and eventually it moved to the United States, right? Where, where the United States was, was kind of growing and, and really sent out the, the, the great missionary movements were sent out from the United States. And where did we go? Back to the place where it started, right? North Africa and kind of those places where Christianity started, it kind of spread out of there and we went back there. But now what's happened here is it's spread away from here. In fact, the United States now receives more missionaries than any other country in the world. Did you know that? We receive more than we send. We are the mission field. The church is exploding in the southern hemisphere. Africa, uh, South Korea, uh, South America. The church is exploding. I mean, people are coming to know Christ all over the place. And here's what's kind of cool. A lot of them are young. Young people are coming, you know, in the North American church, you know, it's like, oh, Christians are getting older. And that's been part of it too. Oh, the church is getting older. We have to appeal to young people. So we need to change what the Bible says about morality, right? Sex, all that. Let's just change that. Um, uh, or uh, that part of it is uh, the uh, supernatural. That's the word, right? We have to take the supernatural out. There aren't miracles anymore, right? Let's take that out because that's hard for people to believe. And everything has a... a you know, a scientific reason. And so we've changed all that in order to appeal to the younger people. And it, it's not working <laughs> because you're taking out all the truth of the scripture. You're taking out all the truth of, of what gives life. In the Southern Hemisphere, they're not doing that, right? In general, the churches in Africa and South America are staying firm on what God's word says. So all this cultural movement we're seeing, they're not seeing. Uh, and you're not seeing that in the news either because they don't want to report that. That's not happening down there. And, and a lot of these denominations are splitting. Anglican is a really good example because Anglican in North America and Europe is liberalizing, right? They're going away from the biblical, the ones in the South, they're not. They're like, whoa, 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 what's happening? The Bible's really clear on this stuff. Uh, yeah, we're split. We're, we're going to stick with what's true. And this is happening, again, all over the place, which encourages me that God is still moving. That's the part for me. And there's part of me that goes, well, I want to go there. I want to go be part of where it's exploding. But then God's like, no, no. I put you where I put you for a reason. But, you know, here's our vision statement. We are fueling a movement of God's people surrendered to his mission wherever he places us. Right? So, I mean, it feels kind of cowardly, at least for me. Well, I'm going to go there where, the, where we're winning the game. <laughs> no, I want you to be here so we can start winning the game again here, that's what's exciting for me, is that we are in the mission field, right? Roughly 5% believers in this area, you know, however you met. That's not very high. Again, we are plan A, and there is no plan B. I hope you're excited about that, right? Now, look back at verse 8. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Carson City, right? Judea, Nevada, Samaria, the idea of Samaria, Samaria was an area very close. In fact, the Jews were all around Samaria. They would travel up above, and, but they wouldn't even walk through Samaria. They would walk, in general, they would walk around Samaria because it was full of those people. Um, and those people were ethnically of, of half Jewish descent, oddly enough. 
if you look at the history, and their religion was also half Jewish. And so the Jews called them dogs. Like they were those people. They were cross-culture kind of. So in many ways, I would say even in our culture right here, we have Samaritans. We, we have those that are very different culturally from what we are, right? right? If we're going to stand on the biblical truth, those are the people we're supposed to go to, right? Who are those people? I got to speak at Sierra Lutheran um, Chapel this week and kind of the idea of, of who are those people that for you are out, right? Ooh, they're unsavable or what, whatever it is. Those are the people we are to go to, right? Samaritans. Now, as you can see, I, I am excited about this truth, and I believe God wants to do great things here. How does he do it? How's, what's his plan? Well, here he says, you will be my witnesses, and he lays that out. In Matthew 28, we see what's called the Great Commission, what we call the Great Commission. Some of Jesus' last words, right, where he says, go make disciples. A disciple is a follower of Jesus uh, who patterns their life after Jesus. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you, and I'm going to be with you all the way, right? Th that's, but here he says, go make disciples. That word go really means as you go, meaning wherever you are, <laughs> right? We do need to send specifically church planters, pastors, missionaries, absolutely, but this is for everybody as you go. It comes back to that idea of vocation, right? Where are you called? Your job, where, where you work, where you play, your family. That's your first place you are called as you go, make disciples. It shatters the secular sacred divide, right? Because we do have that in our mind. We'll call this the house of God. Guess what? This is not the house of God. This is a building that we meet in. You are the house of God, right? Christians are the temple. And so we have this secular, right, don't cuss in church. But once you go out there, you can cuss all you want, right? Don't cuss around a pastor. As a, it's kind of funny when, you know, just doing life or whatever, and there are people, and then, oh, you're a pastor, and then they change the way they are. Like, what? Because <laughs> we have this weird secular sacred divide, but there isn't. We are God's people everywhere. When we go to bed, when we wake up, when we walk out and take the trash out, I, I mean, we are, there is no secular sacred divide. And so his plan is as we go, we carry out our calling as really good parents, as really good grandparents, as really good bakers and carpet installers and go down the list. We do those jobs really well. And at the same time, we view them through the lens of eternity and we look for opportunities to be a witness. As you go about your daily life, you are called to be a witness to Jesus. That's a paradigm shift for a lot of us. And for a lot of Christians, or, or you grew up in the church, that's a shift, right? To view everything through this lens of, of I'm, I'm a missionary, really. I live in this mission field. What do missionaries do? They learn the language. They go, and, and a lot of times they, they get a skill, and they go work wherever it is. Well, you guys already have jobs, most of you. Or you're in school surrounded by people who need Jesus. I mean, we're already placed. How awesome is that? You are plan A. There is no plan. You're a big deal. Don't get a big head. Again, how do we do it? First Peter 3.15 is helpful. Peter says this. In your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and respect. You're going through life and you have hope. Even in an election year, 
you have hope, right? I mean, everything's get bogged down and people get angry. And what? Not us, right? We have hope. We can have joy despite circumstances. Our kid gets sick. Our wife gets sick. Our, our husband gets, whatever it is, we can have hope and joy in that. And others see that and they go, what is up with you? Boom. Well, God is good, right? And then, then I go back to this idea of being a witness. Yeah, this is hard or whatever it is, but I have hope because Jesus. I have eternity because Jesus. And so this idea, again, as we go about life. Back to verse eight. Again, this is our main, main verse. Again, he says, you will receive power. The power is in the Holy Spirit. He's the one doing the work. He's the one convicting hearts. Right? He's the one that will show somebody their sin, lead them to confess. He does that work. He uses us to share, but he doesn't use us to save, if that makes sense. Meaning, you are free to be faithful and free to share. Don't be afraid of rejection. Because they're not rejecting you. We're going to get into this some more next week. If they reject Christ, that's between them and Christ. We are free to joyfully share the good news, not angrily. Oh, you're so stupid, you need to know, right? We are free to, and he does the heavy lifting. But part of that, as we've already seen, is we must stick to the moral and truth claims of scripture, right? Scripture's very clear about this, right? These moral and truth claims. And now history is really playing this out, that when the church goes away from it, the church dies. When the church clings to it, the church grows and gives life. We must stick to these moral and truth claims and we must represent what we claim to believe. Live it out and then be ready to share. I'm gonna read to you a chapter out of, uh, it's called The Letter to Diognetus. Um, and this is a letter that was written in either the second or third century. So like 1,800 years ago, 1,700 years ago. Um, and there's been debate of who wrote the letter. Uh, it's, it looks like it's written from one official to another official and he's telling them about the Christians in their community. Um, it's probably written by a Christian to teach Christians how to live, uh, but it was, it was widespread then. And so let me just read this. This is the description of how Christians are living in society. He writes, he says, for Christians are not distinguished from the rest of mankind, either in locality or in speech or in customs. For they dwell not somewhere in cities of their own, neither do they use some different language nor practice an extraordinary kind of life. Nor again did they possess an invention discovered by any intelligence or study of ingenious men, nor are they masters of any human dogma as some are. But while they dwell in cities of Greeks and barbarians as the lot of each is cast and follow the native customs in dress and food and the other arrangements of life, yet the constitution of their own citizenship, which they set forth, is marvelous and confessedly contradicts expectation. They dwell in their own countries, but only as sojourners. They bear their share in all things as citizens, and they endure all hardships as strangers. Every foreign country is a fatherland to them, and every fatherland is foreign. They marry like all other men, and they beget children, but they do not cast away their offspring. They have their meals in common, but not their wives. They find themselves in the flesh, and yet they live not after the flesh. Their existence is on earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. They obey the established laws and they surpass the laws in their own lives. They love all men and they are persecuted by all. They are ignored and they are condemned. They are put to death 
and, they, and yet they are endued with life. They are in beggary, and yet they make many rich. They are in want of all things, and yet they abound in all things. They are dishonored, and yet they are glorified in their dishonor. They are evil spoken of, and yet they are vindicated. They are reviled, and they bless. They are insulted, and they respect. Doing good, they are punished as evildoers. Being punished, they rejoice as if they were thereby quickened by life. War is waged against them as aliens by the Jews, and persecution is carried on against them by the Greeks. And yet those that hate them cannot tell the reason for their hostility. Isn't that cool? (laughs) I mean, that's 1,800 years old-ish. That should describe us here and now exactly like that. That's how we live as a witness. We live faithfully in all aspects of our life, wherever God places us. Now, we talk about it here. You know, we're not about church growth, you know, for the sake of church growth. We are about kingdom growth. We want to see people come to know Christ as Lord. And so we we do that, again, by us living it. And this is why we're moving to two services. Because what we do here on Sundays is a big deal, right? Worshiping together. We're called to do this. Uh, Holding each other accountable, encouraging one another. And so, again, on the 11th, we're moving to two services so that you can invite that person whoever that is, your friend, your neighbor, your family member, we can create space. You know, there's a, a statistic Paul found and kind of put it up. 80, 85% of people who try out church do so because of a personal invite. And let's be honest, I think around here we could attest to that. You could probably point to the person that invited you, which is why you're here. 85% come because of a personal invite, meaning you're a big deal. Live your faith, invite others into it, and invite others into this, right? We have something really good here, and so do other churches in town. Again, this isn't like we're the best thing, but we have something really good because we have Christ, and Christ is at the center, and Christ is giving life. So as we wrap up, we're going to take communion, um, and we have that at at three different stations. We also have our our prayer walls. Uh, We really encourage each other here to respond as God leads us. Um, and so that's why we do communion this way. We know it's crowded. Again, two services is going to be great for that. Um, but not for long because you're going to invite everybody and those are going to get full too. But we, right, I, we get in line to get and go take the Lord's Supper. We bump shoulders. That's okay, right? Worship is active. These prayer walls is someplace you can go and write down a prayer, stick it in there, and the prayer team will pray for that, right? And the leadership here will pray for those things. You could sit and pray. You could sit and confess. I'm going to be in the back right. You can come talk to me. I'd love to pray with you. If you hear this, you're like, well, I'm not sure I'm in yet. What does it mean to follow Jesus as Lord? I would love to talk to you. But here's our next step from this. Prayerfully look around you, not here, out there. Prayerfully look around you for one person to invite to church by the end of February. But I I put kind of a date on that, right? Because we're going to two services. And for me, I need a deadline sometimes. But start praying about who who is in your life, right? You're a big deal. You are plan A. Who is in your life that God might be saying, I want you not to be a weirdo, but I want you to just invite them. And maybe it's to church. Maybe it's into your life first, whatever that is. Who is that person? And if you know who it is, write their name down. As we get up to take communion, write their name down. Put it in the prayer wall. And others are going to, and you can write it in code if you want. God knows. <laughs> you know, but, but put that up there. Those people will be prayed for. 
right? God is sovereign. The Holy Spirit is the power. He's working. He'll work through prayers and through you. I mean, we have a great opportunity right now and this year to see what God would do through us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you um, that you do choose to work through us, not around us. Um, God, and that can either stress us out <laughs> that, that we are a big deal, but God, it doesn't if we understand how it fits together. God, you don't actually need us, um, but you choose us. You, you can do whatever you want. You could drop manna. You could speak audibly, but in general, you choose not to do it that way. You choose to work through us, which gives us great purpose, which gives our lives great meaning, um, which, which gives whatever our vocation is, wherever we are, it gives that great meaning. Even if it's a student, we want to be great students where we are. Holy Spirit, we ask for your conviction. If we need to be uh, convicted about sin, there's something in our life we need to confess. Show us that so that we can repent of it and, and turn to you. God, if there's a relationship in our life, a fellow believer we're at odds with, um, and we need to do something about that, I pray that you would show us. Show us how to be humble um, and seek reconciliation because unity is what you want in your church. God, as we take this, the, the cup, as we take the bread, we remember, Jesus, your body broken for us. We know that we cannot have eternal life apart from you. And Jesus, you were perfect and you went to the cross and you died for our sins and you didn't have to. We also believe that you rose from the dead, victorious. And we look forward, as we read here in Acts, for the day when you come back and you do set up your perfect kingdom. And so all of this, as we take your supper, we remember what you did, we repent, we love you, we thank you, and we ask you return soon and set up your perfect reign and rule. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.